You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Now, it is um, strangely hot again today, so um, my computer is working overtime. So, if you hear a noise in the background, it's just the computer, the fans are going around. Um, it actually looks cool now. It's getting cooler. So, yeah, it, it was. It cooled so off. So don't be alarmed. The strange noise in the background is not me talking. No, it got, it cooled off a lot, and now it's got warm again. It's not that warm. It's just that that we've had the air conditioner off, and the sun was beating down on the side of the house. If you went out into the breeze under the trees, it was fine. True. So, what were we talking about before, before the after the show discussion? Is that what you're asking about? It was. Um, how do I say this nicely? Us discussing the, what I perceive as the bullshit arguments against third and fourth sequel of movies, comparing them to first movies. And in this case, Indiana Jones. Yeah. I'm not saying it was a great movie. I'm saying that the arguments against all these little nitpicky things don't make any sense. And that was it. And then we talked about Harrison Ford being old. (laughs) Old and hurting himself in on the Star Wars set, and uh, this is how important Harrison Ford is to uh, Star Wars. They actually stopped production for two weeks so he could heal. Like stopped everybody. Okay, that also backs up my argument that if Steven Spielberg and George Lucas felt bullied by the studio to make that movie faster, but Harrison Ford hurting his foot can put an entire that movie on hold for two fucking weeks. But that whole story is bullshit. So I guess um, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas should have gone to Disney to make their Indiana Jones. No, movie. they just should have just. No, it was it was fine with me. It was no, it was not great, and I don't like Shia LaBeouf that much, and I don't like that whole the monkey thing and all. There's little nitpicky things. However, when you compare, not just sort of the bad CGI that I can't forgive because it just is what it is. But you can't compare. That he's in any more weird danger and escapes than he was in any other movie. Because that's the premise of Indiana Jones. He's in dire straits. He's in situations that no normal human could ever escape. And he does. And so if you're going to nitpick because he's in a fridge and blown away from a nuclear blast. And you think And you think that that, well it happens in the first minute, doesn't it? But if you think that is like a reason to cross your arms and be all like puffied up nerd ass and whatever and be like, well, that's what makes the movie so stupid. Let's watch all the other movies and find all the other things that he escapes from and then compare them. That's That was my... I um, I don't 100% dislike it. I, I, I'm probably I about... I like the concept. I'm about 60% on board with it. I would rather have no son. Yeah. Just marry So him. would I, yeah. And the, 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 the but, did good. but guess what? I'm not George Lucas. But it did uh, some things right. One, bringing Marion back in it. Absolutely. Two, um, Indiana Jones is actually good in it. Like it, it's it's definitely what you would expect from an older version of Indiana Jones. I thought they did that well. Um, then there's the bad stuff, isn't it? Uh, she's good. Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. as the baddie. I really like her. But then there's the the CGI, which. I think that if George Lucas ever claims that he didn't sign off on anything, that also is bullshit. Because he's always been micromanager. And so if he looked at the footage of the bugs killing the guy, or the explosion, or the monkeys, and he liked it and signed off on it, that's why we saw it the way we did. He's not going to go, 
eh, whatever. Do whatever you want. Because this is George Lucas. And that's the bit that lets it down slightly for me. Because I expect, like, high things from those two guys. And we've seen, I mean... Do you remember Temple of Dune when they're holding the guy... Temple of Dune when they're holding the guy over the fire? It looks so incredibly old-fashioned. For its Almost time, like though. North... It doesn't matter about the time. Because in ten years, you're going to look back on... Whatever. Every movie that looks good now, Transformers, and go like, oh, wow, look at that crap. But you don't think it's crap now. So that's also a bullshit argument, in my opinion. You can't use the the disadvantage the of the CGI technology at the time. the CGI in the fourth Indiana Jones looked bad compared to other CGI that you'd seen at the time. There was way ba- You were like, wow, this actually looks dated compared to another film I just saw at that time. And the same goes for the flames in the Temple of Doom. There were other movies at the time that didn't have that weird look about them. Then so... Yeah, kind of goes on. But that's what I mean. Like Steven Spielberg has done amazing CGI over the years. Look at Close Encounters and look at E.T. Because he's the one signing off at the end. George Lucas has lower standards. I'm convinced. Look at Jaws. I mean, for the time, all those movies look. Steven Spielberg has a different eye. Yeah, I think George Lucas has a lower kind of a thing. Now, just as trivia, what was Harrison Ford's first listing on IMDb? A TV show, probably? No. It doesn't say TV. It's Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round. Right? I know. 1966, year before I was born. And his his character is Bellhop Pager, uncredited. Nice. So he's just like nothing. But it's on there. Yeah. Oh, he was uncredited in the next one, and the fourth one, and the seventh one as well. Oh, way up here. American Graffiti, he's uncredited as Officer Bob... Yeah, totally. Falfa. I know he's in that, but um, you were you earn extra points if you've actually seen him in that very first thing and, rem- <laughs> yeah. and remember it. Yeah. <laughs> if you're watching, going, well, now you'd know who it is, wouldn't you? So it is Saturday, September the 20th. This is after the show number 344. After the show is a movie review podcast where we look at a Blu-ray. And this week's Blu-ray that we're looking at is God's Pocket. It's a 2014 movie. You can pick it up now. It's rated R. It's from our friends at MPI and IFC Films. And Sitar, what's the synopsis of God's Pocket? We did hmm. Godzilla, now we're doing God's Pocket. Hmm. Synopsis is... It's a... Mm, it's, it's not a, a religious film. No, it's a drama about a young man. Well, it's not even about that. It's basically about what we all know about is a, a community. This is in a big city. But God's Pocket is what they call it, like a Hell's Kitchen. God's Pocket is this one area where people are raised and born, and they're rough around the edges. Like Jersey. And they never leave. Well, Jersey's all different parts as well. So it's a neighborhood. It's not yeah. a whole city or a whole thing. You know what I mean? Jersey would be broken into all different kinds of cities Yeah, and, and I'm trying to well. think of the, kind, the one that... Well, like specific. the town, they kind of allude to that, that, that once you're Boston. there, you're, you're in it, and that's your... Yeah, you know, it's that vibe. Yeah, and it's sort of small townish, but it's in the middle of the city, and there's a, a death, and then there's relationships, and sort of the hint at connections, i.e. the mob kind of stuff, mingling in on everything. Here's my... The main synopsis is, men are assholes. That that if that's a spoiler set, alert. Set in the 70s? I don't think it was discrim I don't think it was, dis- was meant to let you know when it is exactly. Because it could have been early 80s, it could have been Yeah, I was thinking early 70s, it could have been any time yeah, other than now. Obviously not now because of the Any time before cell phones 
And ca- <laughs> the cars are very old looking. Yeah, but if you think about it, cars hang around for like 20 years. So you, you've got a span of time there. Um, it was kind of, yeah, interesting though. Because it, I assumed it was the 70s because of like the clothing and the cars. But yeah, it could be the 81. Mm-hmm. Couldn't it? Really. But could yes, have been all the way up not... to like 85, really. I mean, so God's... because we're talking about it. Not isolated, but an area where people, it's like, okay, I'm going to say this because I'm from a small town and this is how I would describe my small town kind of area. It's like a meat grinder on a loop. You, people are born, some people move away, very few people move away and everybody else just makes more people and then very few of those move away and then they make some more people and it just keeps it alive. You know, the same ideas and... Now, um, this is a, this is a build as Philip Seymour Hoffman's final movie. And that's not really all it is. It's, uh. Of course not. And, but they've been trying to sell it that way. But if you like Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's, it's another Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. But aside from that, it's actually a good film. Now, interestingly, we've Could watched. Honestly, that wasn't even a factor for me. We've watched some huge movies over the last few weeks. Big, big blockbuster movies. Spider-Man 2 and um, Godzilla. And this American, is the... Uh, Captain America. Yeah, and this is the opposite to those movies. And I found it, like, refreshingly different. You know, like, like going from those to this. Um, so, these are my type of movies. Small drama movies. I've always loved them. And what this one does really well, I thought, is... Aside from telling a story... The story is almost secondary to, to the feeling the movie... The movie really... You feel like you're in this place. Yep. It really exists and all the people are going about the thing. And that's what it gave me. Like, it gave me a... Oh, yeah, this is how a place like that... Like the town. Mm-hmm. After I'd watched the town, even though that has a like a heist thing going on as well, I just felt... Like entrenched, like, oh yeah, this is how people, you know, deal with each other in this place. It's violent, it's dirty, it's gritty. And that's what this did. I felt like I was in God's pocket. The story was kind of inconsequential for me, more than the feeling it gives you. Because it's like just a tiny little slice of life. It's not this huge, massive story that's going to boggle your mind or anything. It's just people going about stuff. There there is a bit of Mm -hmm. weirdness going on here. With a death. It's not weird, though. It's just... But, I mean, it's stuff that in your day-to-day life you would not encounter, right? So it's it's a for Philip Seymour uh, Hoffman. But maybe you would if you lived in God's Well, there, yeah. And, and at the beginning, it's this journalist talking over the top. And he, t- he explains what these people are like. Well, he does it in his romanticized journalistic way, which also is a... It's like... um. It's a filter you can look at the city through, which is bullshit, because he romanticizes it all like she is beside me and I live, yeah. you know, I, I'm used to waking up with her. And he describes the people very briefly, but in a very writerly way. So that's one way of looking at it. Like, oh, look at the cute little weird rough around the edges people in that little God's pocket. And then there's the, we get to experience them face-to-face and sort of the ugliness of all the men. Let me stress this. It's not because I have a thing about men. I love you. I've been married twice. Everybody's pretty ugly in this movie. No, they're not. I don't mean ugly. No, no, no. I mean, everybody's... It's... There's not really many people to like in it. I disagree. 
I'm very neutral on everyone, but... Yeah, that's what I mean. But you can't deflect the fact that it's all the men who are wretched. Absolutely wretched. For one reason or other. Either complete ambivalence to your actual reality of your family, and that you then go on and drink and bobble around like a fucking idiot, and kind of trying to scam your way through it, all the while just kind of hoping that your woman just sort of is there. Because she's beautiful and... That's it. I mean, that makes you a complete prick. I don't care what your intentions are. That makes you a prick. The town is kind of like that, too. That's how... Yeah, exactly. The whole thing. <clears throat> but then the only people who have this sort of clued in to actually what's going on are the two main women. And one of the women isn't even that much featured, but they totally get it. Now, whoever wrote it, Mark somebody, he's a dude. He wrote a novel. All the other writers are men. So this isn't like me trying to hone in on, oh, yeah, a woman wrote this, so da da da. It's absolutely, if you're watching it as a dude, I would think you would shrink in your chair a little bit and be like, this is not representative of me, I'm hoping. But it it reflects on the, the, I don't know. Like, if they would all get their shit together and not be jerks, it would be a better place. Yeah, but, but <clears throat> because it is what it is, and generations and generations exactly. have done the same thing, and it will never change. It's always going to be... Like yep. racist, um, violent, drinking, uh, cheating on people. That It's always going to be that. And it is, it, it's a dirty feeling place, but I felt like I was there. Yeah, so, yeah. So it, it succeeded in that. Um, there's like actors in there at the top of the game. Like, it's almost like everybody. Every single person. In my, from watching you, it, you're just like, I'm captivated by everybody, even small. Even yeah, the two, even like the there's sisters. monster dudes. Yeah, the two. and the sisters who came, you know, you get like two or three lines out of them. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, that was one thing I noticed that, yeah, there's a lot of good actors in this, but ev nobody's taking it lightly. Everybody's really in the character. Even, was his name Lucy? The old gentleman? Yeah. Didn't say anything uh -uh. and was absolutely, you totally understood Every single... Even the guy behind the bar. I th I was thinking... Oh, yeah, he was really that, good. That guy's kind of, like, over the top. But then I'm like, that's exactly like a guy who would be... He could just be a guy behind the bar. Absolutely. You know? Kind of, like... Yeah, like, really... Tooled up and ready for a fight, kind of, but also just... I'm ready to shut people down if they're not saying the right <laughs> thing in his bar. You know, everything about it, it had a really good feel to it. Whoever I... directed people in this movie, I believe it's John Slatterly. Who you will know as... Um, Roger from Mad Men. They might not know. It's his first movie, actually. Not everyone watches Mad Men. If you but... watch Mad Men, you will <laughs> yeah. know Roger if you watch You might Mad not Men. know him otherwise, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but whoever directed them, something about... There was some good communication going on there because they all seem to totally get it. Even the young kid who is also over the top, but you can see glimmers of a sense. real person yeah. there. Absolutely. So... I give credit. I think that's part of what makes this movie so... I give it a 10. 10. I don't, you know, I do it for the review thing. I don't I don't like to grade them, but that's sort of our scale. I rarely, if ever, in a, in a long periods of time between 10s. But there was absolutely nothing I could fault about this movie. Nothing that, for one second... When you said you had to pee, I was like, no, but I have to pee too. But I wasn't even going to go. Because I, I... And I never think that anymore. And so, it's just, entrenched is the perfect word that you use, because you feel like, I'm in it. Yeah. And I cannot wait to see what direction all these choices are going in, 
Yeah, and it's like, I'm in it, and I feel kind of a bit dirty, because, like, everybody's, like, doing something wrong. I feel dirty if I want to support somebody, because I know they're doing things there's for nobody, the wrong reason. Yeah, there's not any of the male characters, like you said, you can't be behind any of them. Like, you can kind of go for Philip Seymour Hoffman. Well, you know, he's, he, like... You can't. I mean, he's being shitty. He's being shitty all the time. Like, so, even when he goes to sell his van, he's it's like, being shitty. As like I said, Arthur is about the only one, played by Totoro, that... He's still shitty. He's shitty. He's a thief. You know? But thieving is sort of like the least <laughs> worst thing in this it's whole like movie. Easy, it's like the easiest play... The, the vibe of the whole place is, even, they thieve a meat truck so they can thieve some meat, but it's just like... It's the easiest theft ever. They go up to the guy in the truck. They go, "Here's some money. Piss off." Take we're taking the truck. your truck, yeah. And it's, then they sell them. But the like. thing is, then they're selling the meat. Like right. This weird. Just it's weird. Yeah. But if you think about Sopranos, and then what you might think it's about, just like that, yeah. things like that must happen all the time. Like, but he's the least, to me, the least objectionable, because he's actually just sort of. I he's don't feel focused, like he wants an out. But he's focused though. on why he's doing it. As in, this woman, I think we can't figure out if she's his sister or his aunt. But I think you said you think she's his aunt. I just missed that I don't that think part. it was said. But he's focused on keeping her happy. Truly keeping her happy. I'm Whereas, safe. Exactly. Whereas, what's his face? Phyllis Eva Hoffman. His thing about his woman is, well, I just want to do what she wants. And it's because he just wants to know that she's there. Right. And he's not that upset of what's happened to her son. You can tell. No, he, he isn't. He's no. brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant about it because he pulls it off exactly right. He never shows her sadness. When he's on that pink telephone. <laughs> yeah. you, do you know what yep. I'm talking about? Yep. And he's having a conversation about something completely. Yep. And the other thing just goes away. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, yeah. And then when the... And he's reminded. So he's not focused on her. Uh-uh. He doesn't... It's not like he's got a, his own shit. Yeah, that is like just a—it's kind of a hassle, really. Well, it's more like, well, of course, I have a beautiful woman, and she's my wife, and that is and that. She's messed up because of this, and no, I, I have to fix it with money, or you know, making sure this funeral's good. Or do you think he even would if he didn't have to? No, no, I don't think so. If everything just fell into place, he wouldn't even care. So, but he pulls it off. You're convinced. Whereas Totoro, his character is more like that's my whole focus. Everything I do is for her. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not even my woman. It's Exactly. You know. Just a woman that he cares about in his life. So I think that that's a, the one man who has any redeeming... Well, no, no. You know what? The the boss on the construction site. There's something he, about he him fantastic. that gives him... He's got everything going on, right? He's going to have some racism in there, which is un- oh, yeah, well, he, unacceptable. However, in his mind, he finds a slot for everything. And then he's just like, you will not fuck around with the way things are here. And then he... The action, he, the action he scene amazing. that he is involved in is, oh, is insane. And he's amazing. I mean, every single... I'm just... I love this movie. I love... I don't know if you can tell. Loved this movie. Even though it portrays a very dark side of the male gender. <laughs> the way that males can operate things. But the... um, Yeah, you, I, you can definitely... I mean, there are places like this. Sure. I mean... Maybe not exactly like this. No, but, yeah. but that you know the everybody. It's a it's a big city, but it, there's this tight knit community. It's um everybody knows each other. 
shit goes down a lot. People turn blind eyes to if things. If I show up with the rent money and just hand it to you in cash as my wife, don't ask me where I got it. Yep. I'm paying the rent. That's what matters. So shut up. Yeah, I'm going to the funeral home and it's five grand for the funeral. I'll pay you in a bit. Just shut up. Do it. And I'll pay you later. But to... that's not how it went down. No. That, was br- that was amazing. That, I was like, what I did think in that moment was that's very not, I didn't know it was a novel. But that seemed like something that is described in the novel. When he heard like a bit, of, like, a bit of a exactly. kerfuffle in the background, I was like, what is actually going on? Is he? And then I was like, oh. <laughs> You're like, oh my God. That guy, Marsden, doesn't yeah. he? He's, he's a badass. I mean, oh my god. Yeah, because I like also this movie. There's a lot of things hinted at, but not fully explained to you. Like, like somebody says, oh, he might be connected, or we oh, yeah. heard he's connected. You know, so you don't, you're not 100% sure where. Because that's. How. And that's are. not part of the story. That's the thing. And yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's not focused. It's not the Sopranos. It's not like, here's some mobsters and let's follow these mobsters, even though it does a little bit. It's more, this place is this, and these are the people who are in it, and the reason it's like this is because none Partially, of them all yeah. learn. They yeah, yeah. Learn. Um, so, let's move on to the cast. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays... It, oh, I hate it. Yeah, no. No, you loved him. I love... Yeah, he's fantastic. Anything he's in is fantastic for me. He just inhabits a character. Maybe not like, Hunger Games. Even in the Hunger Games, I think he brings something to it. I really do. It's a little bit nothingness though but it's still you know it's yeah it's it's a pay, big paycheck movie it, or it was for him but he still brings something to it for me but then he, in most roles that you watch him in he just he just takes the role completely I don't even though Philip Seymour Hoffman's very oh it's obvious it's Philip Seymour Hoffman he looks very distinctive I forget it's him and I'm whatever the character is if it's Truman Capote or if it's this guy it shows shots of him, like, it. walking, and then getting to a door, and then getting through, or moving some, like, just these little casual shots, and his whole, like, yeah. the slumpy shoulder, and the sad face, and, like, the, the, all of it makes you think he's, like, ha- not, maybe haunted is the, is a sad word, but haunted by the character he's trying to play, and he just sort of, like, he definitely throws himself in he it. thinks about this guy's whole life. That's what I envision. He's thought about this guy's whole life and now what he's dealing with and how it all weighs down on him. And he doesn't show... There's no, like, redeeming qualities about him. Not that I could see. Not at all. There was nothing about, like, well, he's going to learn a lesson or he's going to evolve past this. No, no, no. And part of the hook of the movie is he's not from there. And that's the idea, is that you don't... You will never belong. And you And even if you're there... And someone offers you an out, you're probably not going to go out. If you end up there, you are never part of it. So that that was really reflected in. There were just three or four mentions of it, but it totally came across. Took over the because he couldn't he couldn't he couldn't grasp the, the things people were doing, like you know. But um, he's amazing in it. It's a real subtle performance again. Like, but that's what he does. But then again, he'll do Truman Capote, and it's not a subtle performance. It's actually a. I guess you know. one of the great things about this movie is all those unexpected things. It's like we're used to formulas in movies. Yeah, it doesn't really. It's not paced his like thing a normal in the movie. Funeral home yeah. When he, you know, does this to Marsden, and then he's like, "Okay, now we know what where we stand." And then you're like, "Oh, no, you don't." And the guy at the construction site, you think they're gonna, and 
you're just like, <laughs> I mean, I actually, I was leaning forward. I think I was just sitting up taking a drink and my body just went like, oh my God, because I did not expect that, which is fantastic in a movie when you've seen thousands of movies yeah, and read lots of stories. It didn't seem like the type of movie that would have that. No. That, you know, cr- a burst of violence, let's say. It didn't. Even that was it didn't feel like a burst to me. It felt just as low key as everything else, but it was just like whoa. But yeah, it's not it, the pace of this movie is. It's it's not predictable. No, you, you're not like oh okay now we're going on a like they get in the you know when they're trying to steal the meat van. Yeah, like a, <laughs> like another movie it would be like okay now we're going on the to see and then the police will chase them whatever it is. But you can't. Here's one thing I thought about his performance. It was pretty early, right? When he was driving the truck and they show the background kind of changes, changes, changes as he's headed to the city, you know, with the truck. And there's a moment when he's driving, he's got his arm there and he's, the truck's real bouncy. He's got this smile on his face. Like that character has, he occurs to him driving this truck, not because I stole it, but driving this truck is actually making me feel happy. Like I could do this, I could just drive a truck. You know what I mean? Like, the weight of all the other stuff lifts off of him. And he's just like, yeah, I like I like just driving. You know? And I think I could have been reading into that. But that's what I saw on his face with that kind of weird grin that he got. Maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman had always wanted to drive a truck and he got to drive one that day. <laughs> and they just captured that yeah, moment. Just, you know, there's like little details like adjusting the mirror. Because you've just stole a truck. The mirror's not right for you, right? Exactly. You know, there was... And he settles in. And then he's driving. And it's beautiful scenery. The bridge is in the background. And he's just like... Why can't I just do this? Why do I have to be the guy stealing the truck? Why can't I just drive the truck? But yeah, we've lost a fantastic actor. It's it's this you know you will see him in the Hunger Games, but you know and just go back and watch Philip Seymour Hoffman's back catalogue because I was looking through it a minute ago and I've seen the majority of them and I can't see a bad movie there. You love Twister? Did you love Twister? You know, Twister's, <laughs> Twister's okay, but he's, it's not really a Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. I'm talking about... No, but he's in it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's been in some... He's also not the whole Hunger Games movie either. No, just a... Right, and I wouldn't think uh, the Hunger Games is a Philip Seymour Hoffman movie either. But, you know, the the big ones that he's been in, Capote and Magnolia. He's fantastic in Magnolia as that nurse. Yeah, but he's also not the whole movie either. No, he's not, but, I mean, he's a bunch of... And he's in uh, Boogie Nights and Love Lisa. Again, a lot of just side characters with their story intersecting other stories. But you totally buy him. Love Lisa, though. Yeah, totally him. Like, you buy him, like, that that nurse in Magnolia, it's it's very emotional um, role to play that, and I buy him completely of the relationship with him and the old man. Mm Mm-hmm. Jason Robards. It's like... um, if a nur- a nurse patient relationship has gone a little bit further. If than anyone's that. listening to this who hasn't listened to all of these, then they they might not know that your two most favorite movies in the world still A New Hope and Magnolia. Uh-huh. Have you added any? I think you added one in the last few years. I've got I've <laughs> but got Those are like the top. I could my top. I could, you know, I've got a bunch of top ones. Nah, nothing that tops those. No, there's nothing that tops those. No. Exactly. It's a the Master as well. I mean, holy yep. crap. Oh my god, yeah. Forgot yeah. about The Master. Yeah. Um, this is not the Seymour Hoffman uh, hour or anything, but still, it's hard to it's hard to not to accept when you're watching him. I mean, you know, he is an 
just an actor and he died of a drug overdose and it's horrible and sad and it's not like world shattering or anything. I'm not trying to elevate the the importance of this man in the whole world. But as movie watchers and as people who enjoy like really serious, really kind of dark or um, thought-provoking stories being told to us through movies, he's he's consistently been a person who you... Me, you doubt, kind of settle doubt. him. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then you're like, he's delivered that person to me in a way and told that story in a way that I actually think about it long beyond. And so I think that's why he's, he definitely he made, feels like I'm missing. He made really good choices of movies he was in. Or, or, or he just is a very talented actor. Yeah, like no matter what he did. Yeah. Because I don't... Yeah. Yeah, there are the big money movies like Twister and Hunger Games. But, you know, people have to get a paycheck, right? And then there's something like God's Pocket. He was doing The Hunger Games and God's Pocket, like, in the same year. So he had a, you know, he produced this God's Pocket as well, I noticed. Oh, produced? That's tough. Yeah. So uh, Richard Jenkins also is in this movie. He plays Richard Shelburne. And we last saw him in um, Cabin in the Woods. (laughs) Yeah. He's always those guys, but this time was different. So it's really good. And he's a... He's really good. He's uncomfortable as shit. I, I, there was there were scenes in this movie where I was like, "You're just horrible." Like, I don't. How long did it take you ahead of that scene to convince her that, like, just go with it? Like, whatever. whatever the scene with the young girl was really, really weird. But it was really good. Yeah, but I mean, it was and him drinking in the car alone. It was those, bizarre. Yeah, the I, way that he. And I'm talking about small details. When he's drinking in his car and he gets out of his car and a, a beer can falls out of his car with him. I'm not sure if that's down to him, but... No, but it's a, that's a detail that I remember where I'm like... The yeah, guzzling like a, of everything, because he's an alcoholic. This is what you're yeah. established really quickly. And that Doesn't he's really like a functioning... Yeah. Because like, he, he, he pours, he pours himself her. the wine, drinks it. He, he gives her a little bit, and then he just puts the bottle down. <laughs> Maybe this is what it is about this movie, these characters, when you think about it. Except for Arthur and Sophie. Everyone's kind of empty. You yeah, damaged I mean? in a way. So. Yeah, she's told the blank eyes and understanding that men are going to want to fuck me no matter what because I am what I am. She's Jean or Joan from Batman. Joan from Batman. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, she's heard every line and had every kind of touch and every kind of bullshit man comment and forwardness come at her way probably since she was a girl. And you can see that on her face. Everything men say to her, she has to like. She has this blank look on her face, and then she gives them a little moment to get over their hard-on wishes, and then she gets to the point about her son, or what needs to be done, or what needs to be asked. But she's very blank. Like, yeah, like emptied out, or like you said, like damaged. And he is too. The alcoholic journalist is hollowed out. So is everybody, really. Maybe that's what's so compelling, because everybody... Almost everybody, not everybody. It's interesting, though. Richard Jenkins plays that guy. He's like this author, uh, a newspaper reporter Mm -hmm. who writes columns. But he plays him kind of... He's he's half tragic. There's a bit of a funny element to him, too, like which is... um, I was like, wow, yeah, there's something funny about him. Like, some of the stuff he says to that... Because he's a writer, so he's probably kind of smart-assy. He's kind of wit, yeah. Yeah. But then he's, like, completely... He's on when he's on the phone and he's saying like he's in bed with like a young college girl and stuff. It, it's just he's. He just say up. whatever. Yeah, he just says it like. But he wasn't lying. 
No, he wasn't, but he's, he's just inappropriate and weird. He's sort of transparent, which is an interesting thing, because not everybody in this movie is that transparent. But he's very transparent in... Except for lying about... He was really good. I, I, he was really good. We're probably going to say everybody's really good. But Christina Henricks <laughs> plays um, Jeannie Scapato. She's the wife of Philip Seymour Hoffman. And she... If her objective was to show a woman who's just sort of wrung out and just getting a, going along because that's just what you do, everything from having sex, the expression on her face, to everything was a slight emptiness except the pain... She's going through. For the Even song. then, it went. It kind of evaporated into a a little bit. Even that, you know, I think she was amazing. Yeah, and you know, I've really only ever seen her in Drive, which was only mm-hmm. a small part, and um, Mad Men, and this. That's all I've ever seen her in. But yeah, she did. She she wasn't just doing Joan from Mad Men. No, no, it was a totally different character that she. Oh, was. totally. Um, John Turturro, we were talking about him before the podcast, plays Arthur Capizero. Amazing. In my opinion, absolutely. Every, every motion of his head, everything he says, he's become that guy. And he's animated, he's, like he is, he's always a little bit on the hyper-ish side, you know what I mean? It's just how he is, yeah. But the way he interacts with the person he's with is, to me... I think actors say there are actors, actors. I don't know exactly what that means, but he seems like that type because he's engaged. And with And again, people. he's he's got a humor to him. But a little bit. The whole thing's da- he's a dark. You feel like, like he's in danger all the time. I don't like. I felt any mo any interaction anybody has with him, he's gonna get a punch in the face. Yeah, and he always. But he talks his way out of it. That's or what he, he is. He's the smarmy kind of. Well, he's like, the likable guy. I can get out of anything by just. I don't have to fight. I can just yeah. talk it or pay my way out because he's always like trying to. He shows his respect to people by sort of hinting that he's afraid of them instead of like trying to be the big man. Every I also time. find it really interesting that he's not a complete shithead because even though he is a thief shithead, like most yeah. of the people are, uh, when it comes like they've done a de- they've done a score and he's not got enough money to pay his friends who did a score with him, but then okay. when he offers the money to. You know, like, he's only got a certain... He wins some money. He's got yeah. a certain amount of money. He's willing to give his friend some money, like his friend. But he just scrapes by with everybody. Yeah. But just that's me, like, yeah. I pay that, he'll be alright for a bit. And he even says, like, I can give him ten grand, I yep. owe him twenty, but then he'll be alright for, for... You know, so he, he has, like, a system of keeping everybody in place. <laughs> he's juggling. Um, and then, uh, finally, I put down Eddie Marsden, who plays Smiling Jack Moran. Eddie Marsden's amazing. Happy-go-lucky, if you've not seen it. Um, Creepy as all get out. He's a British actor. In that movie. Yeah, and in this he plays like a, the funeral director of the town. But not not, not the guy of you. Not the guy you, really guy you would want down the corner from you. <laughs> no, 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 no. But you also forgot the guy who ran the construction site, to me, was actually... You think of... And I this is this brings this statement to my mind. There are no small parts, just small performers. Yeah. Right? This is a part that only appears a couple of times, this character. Yeah, really. But brief. the impact he represents to me the the top end of what you can become if you live there. Now he's also there, he's entrenched, he sort of you know, he acknowledges and allows all the shitty attitudes and stuff of the, you know, there's racism floating around, there's just ignorance floating around. 
he, it's like he, he gets it. I can't fix this. But I'll tell you what, I still have my own set of rules. I mean, he totally, even in the few lines we get from him, I was totally there. And the kid, you didn't mention him either. Yeah, and small details, uh, again in this movie, you only see a, the cops a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But when they're in the building site and they, there's a kid with like a stutter comes up trying to tell the cops something, even the cops are ignorant. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, uh, like he's just like, down. write it fucking down or something. Because like, <laughs> I can't be asked waiting to listen to your bullshit. Like, the stuttering's bugging me. Like. That also shows you that it's before our age of... Yeah, but I mean, everybody's got... Gentleness a, about things, yeah. The cop asked about the black guy. There's a whole... There's a whole shit... There's everybody's shit. undercurrent of really horrible things here. Yeah, I don't see anybody who... Like, but it doesn't grip the whole story. That's what's amazing about it. Because it's... Because they've first... decided not to have, like, Goodfellas or something. Yeah. That... The violence and the shitty men and everything, they grip the whole story. It's not really... You don't really... I mean, it's in Jersey or whatever, but you don't... That's not what you think of. In this, you think of the place, not the people, I think, as much. Like, you think of the situation and the... Like, you live in there for a little while, just watching and yeah. going, I need to get out of it. It's horrible. Like, <laughs> I don't want to live here. You know why we feel like we have to get out? <laughs> because we're visitors. Yeah. Don't feel like... We're not from there, yeah. Right. So um, this is directed by John Slattery. It's his first direct, director, directorial role. He's also directed episodes of Mad Men. So he has had some directing experience. But this is his first film. I'd like to see his next film. Because My only complaint is it's really, it's really blurry. A lot. Not blurry. It's really foggy a lot. He, lets he uses the light. Like natural daylight stuff. Right, but that doesn't, it doesn't make the picture look better. It makes it all look... Kind no, of, I don't think it looks better yeah, either. Yeah, it looks... There are certain angles, everything looks fine, and I get it. Sometimes when you're in a room and it's a certain yeah, time of day... Yeah, it gets washed out, kind of. Yeah, the light comes in and it's got a certain haze about it, but it's it's heavy-handed. It a lot, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, and it's not like a fault Other of the, than that, I think that... None of that's a fault of the Blu-ray, because, like, you know, you'll see a no. scene, it looks fine, and then you... What he's trying to do is not light the... In the internal uh, rooms, he isn't lighting them with, like, movie studio lights. He's saying... Well, we don't know that. Well, what I mean, you can tell... Uh, I'm going to listen to the commentary this week, but I've seen it in other films. They're like, well, this is a dingy-ish room, so we'll open that window and that'll be the light for this scene. And then you can see, like, the shafts of... You know when you're looking, when light comes into your room? Yeah, but that wasn't what was happening, was it? It just was... It was totally um, foggied out. Yeah, it's that, it's that thing, like, when it's really sunny outside, it's kind of dark in your room and the light comes in and there's all that dust in the air that you can see. And when you look at it right, everything kind of looks... He's trying to do that, which is a, a technique that we, we've seen in but other it's films. it's a little too much. Yeah, he does it all the time. Like, And that's the only thing I was kind of, you know... When other you watch, than that, When you watch something great. like Mad Men, it's like super lit, you know? This. And I'm not necessarily saying that's how it has to be either, but there are shots where you're actually trying to focus on the person, and you can't because it's... Yeah. Like... like like, you want to reach up and, like, wipe, wipe the steam off the glass. You know, it's kind of like that. It's a style, for sure, because it's used, like, a lot. But other than that, he's, you know, everything's fairly functional. You know, there's a lot of just one-shots and wide-shots and, like, you know what I mean? Not There's no fanciness going on. But I think his his stamp is the way these people bring out these characters. That think, has to be part I, of it. I think it. he did well, like, making it look like a period piece, even though you don't necessarily know exactly when it is. 
Everything looked. I have a feeling he didn't have to work very hard at that. Because there are places and cities that just look look like that. People dress like that still. Just trucks look like that. I know there's lots of... uh, I always think of in small movies like this when it's a period piece. And I know that is kind of... When you've got a small amount of money to do that is harder. But he also... He did a lot of long... They're talking and you can see right up the street and there's all old cars the entire street. And I'm like, wow, they didn't... In other movies, they don't go that far. They usually just go, okay, film them close up here because... The thing is, though, that neighborhood, maybe all you had to do was go down the street and say, do you guys know anybody who owned, like, a 1975? Oh, yeah, sure, my uncle, my aunt, my cousin, my brother. Can you guys have them park out here? Because everything else in cities, a lot of places just still look like 50 years ago. And there's there's a commentary on this disc, so I'd be interested to hear about his first, you know, film. See how he made it. So, um... Extras, there's just some deleted scenes and that's it. Um, they don't really add anything uh, at all, to be honest. But they're there, and there's the trailer, and there's a commentary. Um, Do we all love commentary? So, yeah, well, I just want to make sure I'm not imagining that there was a commentary. No. Commentary with co-writer, director, producer John Slattery. So that's cool. But, um, yeah, it's an excellent film. It won't be for everybody. No. If you're a drama kind of person, which I really am, they they definitely stick out to me, drama. It's along the road of, um, to me, like, Welcome to the Rileys. Yeah. Or Into the Wild. You know, that kind of movie that is really about the people. Yeah. You know? I was going to say all the town. You kind of have to let go. But the town's more of a Hollywoody big... It gets bigger than it is. It's not a very... But it's good about... But it's good, too, about... But it has has a whole thing. It It has the beginning, middle, end, and that's just very well-defined. Whereas these are more like... Like you called it, a slice out of time of people's lives. You're just watching a chunk. Um, It might not necessarily all be fully tied up at the end, but you're just seeing this chunk of... Because imagine a movie just about the funeral director guy. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Or about the the bar. I think everybody's interesting. That's why all the characters are interesting. So, um, yeah, that's God Pocket. You can pick it up now. It's from IFC Films and MPI Entertainment um, Contest. You can win some new Blu-rays this week. If it's really God's Pocket, he's not taking very good care of it. True. (laughs) You can win a copy of Very Good Girls. Um, go to com. You can win. You just have to answer a really simple question. And next week's Blu-ray review is about as far from God's pocket as you can possibly be. It's uh, Transformers Age of Extinction, the new Transformers movie. So yeah, Michael Bay is very far away from a small independent movie. And movie recommendations. I am going on my... Philip Seymour Hoffman kick, because if I can tell you to watch Philip Seymour Hoffman movies, I will. <laughs> my first one is Owning Mahoney. I think it's my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. It's a true story about... You mean where it features him as the yeah. main person? Yeah, I just think it, it's performance. It, just the whole thing is so... It's a true story about a Canadian bank manager who um, starts taking money from his bank and then Sort of heisty on the down low. Yeah, just, you know, I'm going to take some money from the bank every day and starts to do that. It's really, really cool film, uh, Owning Mahoney. And my other one is Love, Lisa, which is another really on the down low. Um, it's actually Lisa. Yeah, Lisa. Not Ziza. I'm just... <laughs> I don't Lisa. know. I wonder why. I L-I-Z-A. If, yeah, I mean, Lisa. if you're looking it up, it's Lisa. But it's uh, another interesting character piece mm-hmm. from him. 
about a dude who loss loss and uh, an addiction of a kind. Um, it's really really depressing. There's, depressing. there's not many uplifting. There's not much upliftingness to it. But then again, <laughs> God's pocket's fairly <laughs> as well. So pra- yeah, it's tragic, isn't it? Because he think about all the roles he plays. He, he was drawn to that. And mine are two more movies that aren't exactly very happy. And one of them is called Happiness. It's really horrible. I mean, it's good, but it's horrible. And that is a really sleazy part for uh, <laughs> yes, Mr. Hoffman. Really horrible. And uh, <laughs> Magnolia, which, as we've described, also is not an uplifting movie. No, it's if a- you want like a weekend of like total downerness that will make you feel so Watch glad that these things are just movies... That your life shines like a beacon compared to the things that some people have written into characters. I feel like Magnolia has some some real hope moments, though, as well. It's not just a downer. It is, you know, it's it's got. Give me one moment of hope. Um. And don't say the frogs. No, the 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 policeman story. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. I feel that there's mo- there's both um, sides in his story. Um, the policeman story I'm thinking of particularly. Mm. John C. Riley. That's the happiest part of that movie, but it's right in the middle, like, and then it that movie's got this if you it's got like a, a graph, I mm-hmm. feel. Like where it goes like woo and then it goes woo <laughs> like really low at the end. Like it's a it's like a bar graph. So, um, yeah, that is our movie recommendations. Games and A-Scully stuff. I've been playing uh, Bungie's game Destiny. I'm still, like, completely... Really? Ho- I've not heard of this game. Oh, I'm wait, still- I hear this game pretty much constantly. Yeah, I'm still completely hooked on it. What's really interesting about it is uh, when you get to level 20, which is the level cap, which I got to last week, You a lot of games, like, when you get to the level cap, it's, the game's over. Like, there's not really much else to do, and then you might lose interest and go on to another game. In this game... Like, Bungie have said, well, the game really starts at level 20. That's when it gets interesting. So yeah. all this up till now is, like, tutorial. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and you know, it's it's not really a tutorial. It take, to get to level 20 takes you, what, 15 hours, possibly, like, to get through the story and get your character leveled up. But now my character's at level 26. Yeah, I think 30 is the maximum, maximum you can get to. But, um... I'm fine. I'm sorry, what's the difference between maximum and maximum, maximum? Don't like, you think there should be a, just a maximum? A maximum means one thing. I think 30 is the maximum at the moment, and then when an expansion pack comes, they'll What's probably... What's 20? 20 is like the soft cap, they call it, where you, you earn experience points every time you do something. Then when you get to level 20, experience isn't really what you're doing anymore. You're at, To get any higher than 20, experience isn't what does it. It's finding better stuff, loot. So when you kill some stuff, randomly things will happen. You'll find a new chess piece, you'll put it on, and then you might raise up a little bit. So experience doesn't level you up anymore after 20. It's finding good stuff, which is like Diablo, where you have to find... Oh, it's half of the game is, oh, look, a helmet dropped. Look at the helmet, look at the helmet I'm wearing now, look at the stats very closely. Ooh, there's a little bit more on that one than that one, and then interchange them and throw one away. It sounds riveting. It's really good. I mean, it's... It's like it a, sounds so riveting that I think I stopped listening to you about two minutes ago. It's like a... There's always something a little bit better over the horizon, if you know what I mean. Like, so you're like, 
this helmet is awesome, and then you play for, with it for a couple of days, and then another helmet will drop, and you'll be like, oh, but this one does extra bit of damage, or it makes my person run a little bit faster. It's kind of like gambling. Oh, tomorrow I'll win. Kind of Oh, like tomorrow I'll win a little bit more. But there's no money involved. But um, Just the time of your life. But it's really, really fun. The multiplayer is really fun. I've been playing with one of my friends this week. They do like a thing where there's like a daily task that you can do. And if you do that daily task, you get extra XP or extra... You get a, a random item. And they give you the daily task every day at midnight. How do these which games is like Plants vs. Zombies. How do these games benefit from you playing every day? Do you Can you buy stuff with real money? No. So no, what is no the benefit to them? Just I mean, you more bought the and more game. people buy it and pay for expansion packs when they come out, if you're into it. There'll be an expansion pack down the but line. How does, but you're playing it every day for hours. How does that benefit them? Well, I guess it benefits PlayStation or, or Xbox because you have to pay a subscription to go and play it. Your Xbox Live or your PlayStation. Probably doesn't benefit the game guys. The game guys... Keeping no. you coming in every day, is there's no incentive for The that. only incentive is the bigger audience they have the more expansion packs they will sell. So, I understand, but you sitting there every day playing doesn't do no, that. No, it's not. Once you've paid for the game... It's one price, $60. Right. so you playing every day, say you play 12 hours a day for two years, they don't get anything out of uh-huh. that. Interesting. They just get, we're a extremely popular game because we've got 20 million people playing it, I guess. Uh, it helps when they go to make another game and they're trying to get a deal. But Bungie don't really need one. They made Halo. They're already like the bigwigs. Like everybody knows, they make a good shooter. And this is a good shooter. And that's what I really like about it. I love Diablo as well. But Diablo's not really a shooter. It's more a... Um, it's from top down and you're just running around. The shooting in this is really fun. And I want to go back and just do it again. Like, I'll do a mission. It takes 45 minutes. What The second it is over, I will. I don't care to do that. I'll do it again. 45 minutes. Like a friend says, can you help me do it? Sure, because it's fun to do it. Like, and you wonder why I watch Bob's Burgers over and over and over. Yeah, it because. just has. There's something about it. <laughs> if the, Bob's Burgers had a game, then if if they made Bob's Burgers into The Sims, then I then that would be a game you would lose me to probably. Yeah, but there's something about the whole thing, the way it's set up. The it's kind of like some people will say it's repetitive because you have to go in and do the same thing over and over again to try and get a better thing. But if you're with like, I'm playing with one of my friends this week. If you're with a friend of yours and you're just talking and playing, it's not It's not like you're doing a repetitive thing. I understand. And you're getting better every single time, and you're like, wow, did you see how quick we did it this time? It was way quicker than last time because we just know what to do. You know, you, you end up like this finely oiled machine that you can just go in and do it. So that's Destiny. Um, there are some... They're doing, like, weekly events as well. This week, they're actually opening up this brand new planet that nobody's been to um, called The Reef. Um, and that's just included in the game, but you can't get to it. But this week, they're going to open it up, and there'll be a mission there where you can get something. That's cool. If they do that all the time, people won't stop playing, you know, like... Because there are points where people drop off from games, where, oh, I think I've seen everything. Right, but they're not losing any money when you stop playing. They're not, but I'm sure they want you to play it. Right, that's my question. Why? Why do they care if you play for hundreds of hours? If they've already made their money? That's what... I understand what I think they want a community, because that's how they, like, gauge... Well, the expansion back's going to be $35, they've already said. It comes out in February, 
and it adds new planets and new you know it's going to be work, it's going to be like half of the right game. so if you haven't invested the hundreds and fifties out hundreds hundreds of fifties of hours right then you don't care about the expansion pack to give them 35 more dollars so there is an incentive to give them more money but it just that is their downloadable content right. if you will versus constantly versus being like, like a subscription yeah. like like Warcraft obviously they want you to keep playing because you're giving them 15 dollars a month right but with this they're just relying on you buying the expansion pack. And if you love it that much, you will, won't you? It's like the, it's like anything. So there's their incentive. Yeah, to keep. Because if you stop playing six months before the next part comes out, then you're not going to get it. And the new expansion pack that does come out in February continues the story also. So they're saying that Destiny's got this 10-year lifespan. They're not actually going to make a Destiny 2. They're just going to keep adding on to this one. So you will... It's some new worlds. Keep, there you go. Stuff. That's how they make their money. Yeah. That answers my question. So um, that's Destiny. I've also been playing, and this is a really fun game, and it's on Steam, and you wouldn't believe the um, synopsis for this game. So it's the 1970s. You're a limousine driver, and you drive a limousine. I've heard this already. <laughs> you drive a limousine that is ro- always rotating. <laughs> So and when you say rotating, you don't mean rolling over and over. You mean spinning in a circle. Spinning in a circle. Yeah. So imagine every time you drove your limousine. Is it spinning as a circle as in the center of the car is the center and then yeah, the you're, end you're driving the center like a top. of the car. Yeah, like a top. Okay. So imagine driving a rotating limousine down the road and trying not to hit anything. You can't drive it. Well, the... It's not real life, so how it, how, <laughs> how it works in the game is it's kind of from above the view, and the the it rotates, and you steer it. But then imagine these two cars parked. You have to wait until the it's it's straight, and then s- slide it through them because you can't obviously can't. But it keeps spinning. It always keeps spinning, so it's always a like quick get get through there, quick got to get through there, going round. And there's roundabouts in the game, so imagine it's spinning. If you get it at the right moment, you can get round the roundabout as it's spinning. So it's all about controlling this car. Later on in the game, you get to be able to jump. So you can jump over things or jump up things, like a platform game. Now, what's really cool about the game is it's set in the 1970s. And all the, all, it's full motion video. So everything's been filmed. Uh, there's actors in the movie, in the game. So when you pick up a person, you don't just see a game character talking. It cuts to a movie of somebody getting in a, in a real limousine and then telling you, the driver. Um, no, but what you do you see when you're playing? You see the the limousine from above. You know, it's like it's like a overhead, like a cartoon. Thing. Yeah, like a cartoon. But when somebody gets in your car, it's like a real limousine. The chauffeur, who is not you, is it's the story of this chauffeur. She's a woman, and she cannot speak. There's no. There's no nothing is explained. She doesn't speak, but she turns round. You see her turn round. You see her face, and she looks at whoever's in the back. And she has very distinctive. She doesn't need to speak. Whatever she's like, what you're doing there, like you're narrowing your eyes. That's what she thinks of that person. Ah. Now they filmed three hours of her doing different turning around and doing a different. So they, there's actually deleted scenes of all that too, but. Everybody you pick up, she has a different look on her face when she turns around. They say a bunch of stuff. How does that impact how you play? It's just the story of this chauffeur who's driving the world's first rotating limousine. 
all the people who get in, you have to deliver them to their... It's like Crazy Taxi. You know, they say, I need to go to the pizza Do place. they just fling out of the car when you deliver them? No, when you deliver them, it cuts to another film, real film, like, and they'll, they'll tell you some part of a story or... And a story gets told by all these people, basically, all these different people. They're all telling us, and there's something going on in the city, and they're all talking about it. But um, it's all filmed, and it's really cheesily filmed, like really cheap, and it looks all grimy and 70s looking, because the whole thing's supposed to be in the 70s. It's really unique. I've never seen anything like it. I knew. I read the description to you this way. I was like, that sounds like an interesting game. It's on Steam. Um, I'd have to argue with that, but... I get what you're saying. It's like, you know, the the actual structure of the game, picking people up, dropping them off. There's collectibles, there's little mini-games, there's all kinds of stuff in this, in, and it's a big open world. Um, it's kind of like Grand Theft Auto, like where you're doing busy work, like you're getting this, taking it there, you've got to go through the playground without hitting any of the kids, you know, with the rotating, it's hard, with the rotating limousine, it's like... But the actual gameplay, it's nothing but cartoony from up above. Right. And it's right. got a style of its own. It looks, it's got like a grain filter on it, like the seventies. It's everything's it's like orange like, and brown, like Grand Theft Auto used to be. Like Grand Theft Auto used to be, but it's slightly skewed a little bit, so it is three D. It's not just straight from above. It's it's not eight bit or anything. It's modernish looking, but like an indie game. Oh yeah. But there's a ton of video. Obviously, they had to film a bunch of video. Some of the people who get in the back of the car, you will recognise. They did use some. They're not celebrities, but if you're a gamer, a video gamer, you might recognise some of these people. The people who make games. It's got kind of that, what do you call that, like, that weird kind of... Up their own ass kind of thing? Yeah, but they totally know it, and that's the idea of it. Like, it's it's just to be completely stupid. Like, I mean, they came up with an idea of a rotating limousine. How do you build something around that? So they just went crazy with it. Uh, but it's called Roundabout. It's really fun, and you can pick it up now. Uh, Graze, I'll put it down. G-R-A-Z-E. These are not a sponsor of ours. I just tried them out. We have no sponsors. I just tried them out. FYI. They're called Grays. It's like a... They send you a snack in it's the like mail. It's like Nature Box. Nature's Box, but it's got a little different vibe about it. Yeah. Now, we tried some this week. We had three of them. They, what you they get send is, you four in a box. Yeah, you get like a little box that's flat and really skinny. It looks like you've got a book from Amazon. And inside are four little narrow, skinny little packets... Like plastic with the plastic sheet over the top film, and inside is just basically a handful of. Eh, it's almost like trail mixes, but with different. Yeah, kinds but it's not just. I, I, there's other stuff too. Brownies and oh, uh, right. oatmeal bars. I just chose that. Okay, stuff. Yeah. so the things we got so far. Right. Everything is the idea is you put it in your desk drawer, and every day. And instead of pulling you out have a candy one, bag, you pull out. One you have just one, but they're very small. They're good though. Are you going to talk about the best one? To me, the best. We should eat the other one tonight. I do think they should put seven in a tray, to be honest, because then you would have a, enough for a week. Yeah, but you don't work for seven days. You work for right, five but it doesn't days. say it's about working. It says it's. Uh, everything you read is people saying they buy them for work, it goes in their desk, and so you won't go to the vending machine like that. Now, they what they do basically is they mix some things together, like uh, there's a key lime pie one that we get. Amazing. And what it is, is it's small pieces of meringue, small pieces of sponge, and then... Well, it's like a little cookie. Two different types of... Ra- well, they call it sponge. Two different... Ca- it's like where you put in a trifle, that stuff. Two um, different types of raisin that are, like, flavoured with key lime flavouring. So exactly. when you eat the whole thing together, it tastes like key lime pie anymore. I mean, it kind of does. It doesn't actually. It's very limey. 
And then you get the sort of sweetness of the meringue, but it's amazing. Like, you opened it and we smelled it. It was like, And what was the other one? So lime. You had one. I had the pecan with fudge and dates, and that was really good. Like, really fresh. The ones I chose are supposed to taste like pies or puddings. Right. That was what I chose. What was the third one? Oh, the other one I didn't love as much. The peanut one. I like that one. It was red skin peanuts, normal peanuts, and fudge pieces. Caramel fudge pieces. And um, now we have a strawberry one left, which sounds really good. But there's all kinds of stuff. And you can even say, like, I'm allergic to nuts, and then they won't give you nuts. Or I'm vegan, or um, I want... There's there's two boxes. There's a normal graze box, and then there's the low-calorie one as well. Tell them the trick, though. You sign up for it. Yeah, this was interesting. Free, you Actually. sign up for a free box, right? They give you a cinnamon one yeah, for free. Yeah, they send me one for free. Then you cancel it, and then you get a notice from them saying, hey, 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 like, don't cancel. We'll give you everything half price. Yeah. So instead which, of $6 a box, you can get it for $3 a box. Which I didn't know about at all, but I I got the box in the mail, and, and what it is, it's a subscription service. They send you a box every week. So I didn't, um, I didn't want to get another box. You know, I was just wanting to try it first and then decide. So I didn't want them to send another one immediately. So I went and I pressed cancel the box. As soon as I pressed cancel the box, it says, we're sorry to see you go. I'm about 50% off forever. And I was like, <laughs> well, that's a, we should have known that. I mean, that's a, it seems a bit shitty that if you can offer it me 50% now, like, why isn't it 50% off anyway? See, I'm on the screen right now. Gonna set myself up here. Try out. I'll even just pay for one box and see different, you know, variety. You get to the nibble box. That's what we got. So you get 90 choices, and then the calorie counter box has 50 choices. So I'm assuming some of the higher yeah, end stuff just brownies just and stuff eliminated in from the choices. You can have it delivered straight to your office, which is actually kind of a good idea. Um, again, they're not a sponsor, but anytime you come across something that I'm compelled to actually keep trying, like Morningstar products, I can't help it. We eat the shit out of that stuff, and... You know what? When you like something and you think, well, there's got to be somebody else out there who's either adventurous enough to try something new or it's actually missing. Like if we became vegetarian and never had any access or information about products like that, food like that. So when somebody tells you. And the, this comes in the normal USPS mail. It's just in your mailbox. It's thin enough to fit in there. It so. literally looks like you've got a little yeah, children's book, book <laughs> yeah. from Amazon. Um yeah, so, and the other thing is, uh, from when I ordered it to get in the first box took about 10 days. Because they, the box is really personalized. There's like a little sheet inside that tells you what four, what the four things are. And it's, it gives you coupons with your name on them that you can give to people. Um, but it's actually, the, the thing printed is for you. Like, it's not just a That's generic what I need thing. Is my invitation code to put in from you. Yeah, you do. It's I'll give you. It's like Paul H something. It's on there. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Oh yeah. I still have it. I either, <laughs> I either still have it or I threw it away. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably on your account though. Yeah, probably. But, but I'm about- gonna try it some more too. Try some more versions. And I still have Nature Box stuff. Um, I'm still signed up for that. I've told it to cancel the next one and then probably the next one. But they're really good too. We just haven't tried much of the variety of stuff. So that is my stuff for this week. Uh, what's for dinner? More food talk. Tonight will be tofu, because last night I cooked tofu in the lovely ketchup and curry that I <laughs> I make some water. I drain the tofu all day, let it get kind of spongy. It's the extra firm. Then make mix water and ketchup and curry powder. Now you might say, 
Well, why dry it out if you're just going to wet it up again? Well, because if you if you let it squeeze out all the water that's in it, or most of it, and then you put it in your marinade stuff, it does soak it up better. And then I just cook it in the Plus skillet. Plus it tastes different when the water's out of it. Yeah. The I mean, I like the it. The texture's totally different. Yeah, I like it the same either way. But this time I just cooked in the skillet. No oil, no nothing for probably an hour on really low and just let all the sauce go away and it gets kind of firm on the outside and it's cold is my favorite way to eat it. It is amazing. It's like, it's a tough one. to. It's a hard sell to people because they have a thing in their mind about tofu, but no, I, I never would have eaten tofu either, but I've figured out a way to make it. In fact, I just, I'll just eat a little piece of it the way it is out of the box because I like it so much, but not everybody's like that. And then we have some kind of vegetable. Corn and cauliflower, I think, sounds really yummy for some reason. True. Some weird noodles. I bought three different kinds of weird noodles today. Not like the low-carb something or other. <laughs> you made a funny face. One are like seaweed or something. And one is the rice noodles, like the really the really thin ones, you know? I like those. Like and then Thai the other, noodles. Yeah, I think. And then the other one is this box. It's called No Oodles. Which is low carb, vegan, yeah, something. Some They're in tomato. Have you? I had never heard of that. And they have like a tomato sauce in them. So I'm going to pick one of those for my. I'm trying to cut the carb thing, even though I know corn has carb in it and tofu does too. And the. Whatever we eat is going to have sugars and carbs in it. But I'm trying to, instead of having straight up pasta or straight up potato, put something else in there just for variety's sake. And then my advice, you ask? Yes. Well, no, but yes. This is a tough one. Because it's tricky. But don't be fooled by your own ignorance. Now, ignorance means you don't know something. So it's hard to not be fooled by something you you don't even know you don't know yet. But I have this gut feeling about a lot of things. I mean, I'm ignorant of how to fly an airplane. But I'm aware that I'm ignorant of that. You couldn't put me in the cockpit of an airplane and me go... <gasps> All of a sudden, it dawned on me. I don't know how to fly. I am aware. If you're an asshole racist, which means you are ignorant of sort of a bigger picture of the human condition, you are aware of your ignorance. That's why you're racist. You can blame it on experiences that you've had with individuals. You can blame it on the news. You can blame it on shit you've heard from the people down the street or from all the racists that you live with. But the truth is, it's because of your own ignorance that you are very aware of. Because you live in the world. <laughs> like, you know, you don't live in a room alone with no internet and no TV and nobody telling you anything different. So it's bullshit that people get fooled into this, like, well, that's how I was raised, so that's what I think. That's, it ties in with God's pocket. It does. That they're all aware of the, the, the bubble they live in. The thing about bubbles is, right, what do you think about a bubble? They're clear. That means you can still see the rest of the world. You see beyond your own ignorance and beyond your own prejudices and beyond all the the limitations of what you think you know about the world, you see all that. If you say, well, I'm a Christian, that's how I was raised, and that's how it is, and God is real, and that's the truth, you only have to assert that because you are aware that that might not necessarily be the truth. You're aware that your ignorance of how the entire universe works exists. And, and also, because the bubble's clear, everybody can see you too. 
True. How does that fit into it? But I get what you're saying. Both ways. People see all... all right. So they can see through your bubble and point out... Oh, that's a good point. Because you're going to interact with people who, through through interacting with other people, you're going to be aware of your ignorance. I mean, it sounds like a weird catch-22, doesn't it? But if I'm ignorant of it, I can't be blamed for it. But even our laws say, well, I was going 65, but I wasn't aware of the speed limit. Ignorance of the law is no defense. Because the thing is, you already know there are speed limits that exist. You can't claim that you didn't know that one. You know what I mean? Like, that's a very basic level of it. But I just hear people too often shrug their shoulders. Well, that's how my parents did it. So that's how I do it with my kids. And then that's just it? Like, you aren't aware that there are other ways of teaching your children to behave? No. You choose to be fooled. To be like a sucker, basically. Because, think about it. If you pluck yourself out of your life, all these things that have been coming at you from all your family and your friends and your experiences, pluck yourself out of there and put you over here, right? All those things, it doesn't, it doesn't mean they're all right. It means you've just soaked them all up. So your perspective is like, well, that's just the way it is, right? And that, but you know that there are other options. Other ways of looking at things. Other way of doing things. True. I don't know. I just get annoyed with people so much. And I, you know, I'm... I fall for it myself sometimes. Because my thing is that thing of always questioning everything. Always questioning everything. Like, that's just my nature. It has been my nature since I can remember being a little kid and being like... I don't know, just always being like, why are you acting that way? Why are you saying that? Why?" My grandpa would lean in the car window as we're leaving their house, and I was little, little. He's got a lucky strike in one hand, his arm leaning in the window. Funny guy, loved to tell jokes. Told a lot of racist jokes. And I would sit in the back seat, and it was like, I, I had no way of knowing. I wasn't experiencing all kinds of races or different kinds of people, but I had this thing of, like, you just instantly turned from, like, this funny grandpa to being really mean. And I don't I don't understand why. I was fully aware of that, even when I was little. And, of course, I didn't question it yet. And by my teens, I was questioning people and putting it back at them about God and racism and all these things. That's my nature. I'm not taking credit for it. I'm saying that just comes with me as a package, right? But that also means that I'm that I'm using my own ignorance of what it must be like to be the other way, another right. way, because I don't identify with someone who just takes everything and just accepts everything the way it is and the way it's told to them. I don't identify with that. I'm aware of it. I'm aware it exists over there. So I don't know how else that turns into advice. <laughs> That's more of a ah, just getting something off my chest. All right, so now it's off your chest. Let me remind you about the website, sayscully.com, sid.com. You can catch us on Twitter and Facebook. You can catch this podcast on stitcher.com, the Zoom Marketplace, the RSS feed, or on iTunes if you're an Apple user. You can also email ascully at ascully.com. Do people ever? Sometimes, yes, they do. But they mostly leave a comment on the I think the site. every single person listening to this right now should send you an email. No. And don't send... No, send Sid Talk an email. Sid Talk at Sid.com. And finally, stay classy, Mr. Philip Seymour Hoffman. You will definitely entertain me from beyond the grave. Really? Is that what you want to say? 
Yes. He's not entertaining you from beyond the grave. I'm saying after... He's entertaining you from what he did before he That's what I'm saying. After he's gone, he'll still be entertaining me in years to come because I will still be watching his movies. That's a fair statement. That is the statement. I'm going to say... I'm going to say... Think for yourself or someone will be doing it for you.